John chapter 13, quick prayer. Dear God, please let us understand something from reading this scripture. And in Jesus' name, I ask this. Amen. Chapter 13, Jesus washes his disciples' feet. It was just before the Passover festival. Jesus knew that the hour had come for him to leave the world and go to the Father. Having loved his own who were in the world, he loved them to the end. This is amazing about Jesus. Like he knew right here, it's telling us he knew he was going to leave the world and he was going to go back to the father. Now he must've been really kind of excited about that, but he also knew the pain and suffering that was going to come along with it. But he loved the people that he got to know while he was in the world and he loved them to the very end. And that's just says a lot about who Jesus is. And we learn a lot about Jesus when we read what others wrote about him. Getting back to scripture. The evening meal was in progress, and the devil had already prompted Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot, to betray Jesus. So Jesus called him out a long time ago. He said, one of you is the devil, and he was referring to Judas. And then here, John you know, puts it right out and clear that the devil had already prompted Judas. So the devil was already working in Judas, and I don't know why Judas didn't believe being the first hand witness to everything that Jesus did, but he didn't. He chose Satan. It kind of goes back to that verse, you can't love God and money both. If we think about it, Judas was in this for the money all the time. Like he was the keeper of the money and he was skimming off the top when it said, you know, about the perfume sales, when the Mary was um, using the perfume to uh, pour over Jesus, anoint Jesus with it. And it was expensive perfume that would cost like a year's wage. And Judas was reacting negatively towards that. Like he's like, but saying, you know, trying to make him look like a good guy and saying, hey, we could have given this to the poor, but really he wanted it. So he's all about money. And later on, we'll find out that Jesus was betrayed by Judas because Judas got like 30 coins or whatever. I don't know what that value would be, but 30 pieces, um, is what it was that Judas got for the betrayal of Jesus. So even in the end, Jesus or Judas chose money over God. So money isn't the root of all evil, but the love of money is the root of all evil. And you can't love God and love money. You have to make a choice. And today, we can even look at all of us today, like, you know, all of us who are focused on luxury material things we have to think about that like does that support the will of god god can certainly the way money should be looked at is that it's a resource it's a resource for god's kingdom how do you use your money that you have do you use it to promote god's kingdom what are you doing with your money are you using it to just you know satisfy yourself are you doing something for others with it because it's a tool it's nothing more than that. And God does bless people who use their money to do his will because he gives them more because it's a tool just like anything else. If you use it for the right purposes, God's going to give you more of it to do. But if you don't use it for the right purposes, then first in the end, it's all going to be taken away from you. It's not going to last forever. And just like the the parable or the story that Jesus talked about the rich man you know, who was in, um, uh, be, you know, who had passed away. And he was, he was saying, you know, 
he was separated from God. And he was seeing the people who were not separated from God. And he's like, please go back to my family and tell them all this. And and the the parable was about, well, you had all of your all of the beautiful, beneficial, luxury things in this world. You had you already had that. But now, you know, that was more important than God's eternal kingdom that he's going to be giving. So it's like, can you postpone your desire for all of that? Because God promises that it's going to be something magnificent later. Can you hold back on taking it all now? Because if you take it all now and you don't care about God's kingdom, you're going to lose it all. You're not going to go with it. Like you can't come into this world naked, you're going to go out naked too. You don't take it with you. So what do you do with the resource that God gives you? Back to scripture. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power and that he had come from God and was returning to God. So he got up from the meal, took off his outer clothing and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water in a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet drying them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Lord, are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, then Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, those who have had a bath need only to wash their feet. Their whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that was why he said that not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing the feet, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you as an ex- you an example that you should do as I have done for you. Very truly I tell you, no servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who sent him. Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Again, Jesus is teaching us, you know, we are to serve other people. We It's not all about us, just like God, the most important person in it all, it came and washed the feet of others. Like he took on a servant's role and he came to serve others. And he's telling us that's what we have to do. We are here to serve God, just like he was. He's the example. Jesus predicts his betrayal. I am not referring to all of you. I know those I have chosen, but this is to fulfill this this passage of scripture. He who shared my bread has turned against me. This is about Judas. So the one who shared bread, who eats with them, turned against him. Getting back to scripture. I am telling you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you will believe that I am who I am. Very truly, I tell you, whoever accepts anyone I send accepts me, and whoever accepts me accepts the one who sent me. So he's giving this long line like of, he comes from the Father, 
whoever accepts him accepts the Father. So there's the Father, then Jesus, then his followers. And it, there's a, you know, rank and file, rank and order. And and he's just saying, you know, whoever, there's like an acceptance all the way down the line. Like God will accept those who accept Jesus. Jesus will accept those who accept the people that he sends out who have the same message. So it's just like this this long line of acceptance and where it comes from. After he had said this, Jesus was troubled in spirit and testified, very truly, I tell you, one of you is going to betray me. His disciples stared at one another at a loss to know which of them he meant. One of them, the disciple whom whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him. This is always funny to me because John is referring to himself, one of them, the disciple whom Jesus loved. And that's kind of why I like to read John's story because he really feels like he has this very close connection with Jesus. And um, anyway, getting back to scripture, Simon Peter motioned to this disciple and asked him, ask him which one he means. Leaning back against Jesus, he asked him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, it is the one whom I will give this piece of bread when I have dipped it in the dish. Then dipping the piece of bread, he gave it to Judas, the son of Simon Iscariot. As soon as Judas took the bread, Satan entered into him. So Judas actually got possessed by Satan. There's something that we can learn from this too. When we reject God, we open ourselves up to even more evil. Like we open ourselves up to the evil side. Um, There is something that I've learned too. If you are not filled with the spirit of God, you are at risk. You are open to lots of evil. There is more than just Satan in this world. He does have others. And there are horrible things that can happen if you do not have the spirit of God with you. And this is a perfect example right here that Jesus took the bread and Satan entered him. So now that Satan's in control of all this, you think anything's going to change? No, Jesus had, or Judas had rejected God. He chose money over God. And so now he's prime target for Satan. And Satan entered him. That's really interesting. So, so Jesus told him, what, what you are about to do, do quickly. But no one at the meal understood why Jesus said this to him. Since Judas had charge of the money, some thought Jesus was telling him to buy what was needed for the festival or to give something to the poor. As soon as Judas had taken the bread, he went out and it was night. That's kind of symbolic too about Judas going out and it was at nighttime and darkness. So that could be symbolic too. Jesus predicts, Peter's denial. Now, when he was gone, Jesus said, now the son of man is glorified and God is glorified in him. If God is glorified in him, God will glorify the son in himself and will glorify him at once. My children, I will be with you only a little longer. You will look for me. And as I told the Jews, so I tell you now where I am going, you cannot come. A new command I give you, Love one another as I have loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. I want to stop here because this is that the second greatest commandment. First is love God. Second is love 
one another. And that's what Jesus says. Like everything that we do, anyone who follows Jesus must be done in love. And we have to look at all of our motivations. Are we doing this in love? Whatever we're doing, it should be done in love. And if it's not done in love, we need to correct it. We need to ask for forgiveness and redirect. So that's what repentance is all about, is understanding our motivations and looking truthfully at ourselves, at our own actions. And Jesus said he wants to do it all in love. And so even when Christians sometimes have meaning, uh, I guess they're meaning to do good, but they do it in a harmful way, in a negative way, it doesn't have the result if it's not done in love. So if any everything is done in love, it will have a much better result. We can't get anything from beating somebody over the head with Christianity because that's not the way it's done. That's not the way Jesus did it, and that's not the way he wants us to do it. So everything must be done in love. The way we're communicating to other people, it shows we are to be a reflection of Jesus if we choose to follow him. So our actions should be considered, would Jesus do this? When we're looking at stuff that we do, would Jesus do it? Is this, is, are my actions the things that Jesus would do? Good check balance or checkpoint to look at how we are acting. Simon Peter asked him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus replied, where I am going, you cannot follow now, but you will follow later. Peter asked, Lord, why can't I follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Then Jesus answered, will you really lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the rooster crows, you will disown me three times. Now, that would be shocking to hear, you know, like, because Peter did love Jesus. But um, I think John and Peter actually had a little bit of a, um, uh, I don't know, they were kind of um, competing competition. They were going, you know, against one another. To, not against one another, maybe, but they were competing for Jesus's affection or attention. I can just read that in this writing, and I may be wrong, but it sure seems like it because even when, when Jesus, when at the tomb, when he's raised, and later on you'll see in John that they raced to go to, to the grave to see that Jesus had been risen, and and so John gets there faster than Peter. So it's you know, obviously John is like always, you know, I don't know, competing with Peter. And there's another time too, where Jesus tells Peter how he's going to die or gives him an idea that it's going to be a pretty bad situation in Peter's death, which it was. I mean, he was hung, but he didn't feel worthy to be hung like Jesus was on the cross. So he was hung upside down, crucified. And um, so anyway, but when Jesus was telling Peter what was going to happen to him. Peter's saying, well, what about that guy? What about John? And then Jesus said that, um, well, what does it matter to you what I do with him? Just worry about yourself, basically. So these two, I imagine Jesus was like two little kids, you know, arguing over like who's closest to Jesus or something. I don't know. But you see these little things and there's, I, I think that also gives you a little bit of authenticity about these people. These are real people and you're you're seeing the emotions from people in these gospels and in these books and you're seeing, you know, their viewpoint of things and they're documenting what they experienced. And it is interesting when you start seeing these things that, that come out when you're reading scripture. But 
again, this is another thing where we also can't be too confident in ourselves and can't be too judgmental about others and whether they are doing what they say they're doing. Like Peter certainly did love God, Jesus. And yet at the same time, he, he was like, oh my gosh, I'll do anything for you. But then Jesus is saying, hey, wait a second, you're going to deny me three times. And so this is someone really close to God that really does love him. But then he falls short of that. Well, that's a great example for all of us. We're not going to be perfect. And we really shouldn't be bragging about how we are because it does say in scripture, pride comes before the fall. So if we're prideful about how good we are, how great, how close we are to Jesus and so forth, we are a prime candidate to be taken down, to be to be eating our words, the things that we say that we think we're so good at. That's If we're like that, we need to humble ourselves before we get humbled because we are all kind of in the same classification. All of mankind is, is full of sin. We're all fighting this battle. We're all not going to be perfect, but we just have to remember, don't think you're so great that you're not going to do something. I know in my own life, there were things that I said, I would never do that, but yet I did that exact thing. And in, if given the right circumstances, people will do the things that they said they would never do. And we have to remember that. But stay humble. Don't be prideful about being too good. But every day, work on it. Work on and, you know, work on being a better example of Jesus. If you're a follower of Jesus, do people see that in you? Do your actions bring people to Jesus or do they make them run away? That's, you know, we need to bring people to Jesus. We need to be an example, a good reflection of Jesus's values, of what Jesus taught, not to steer people away. And every day we need to just work on that because that's the will of the Father, to bring people into eternity. That's our only job here on earth. And we all do it like in different ways. We all have different functions in, in achieving that, but to bring others to eternal life with Jesus and God. I mean, to be present in God's kingdom. And it's, it's important to reflect daily on our lives and what we can do, what we could do better, better the next day. And it's not that we're going to be, that we get to salvation from our works. That is not the way we get there. It's not like if we're good enough, then we get into heaven. That's what a lot of people think, but that's not the truth. The truth is Jesus made it possible for us to get to heaven. And in this life, we're going to do some good things and some bad things. Hopefully, we'll just do more good things because that'll make God happy with us. That'll make him proud of us that we did. Like there's a quote like, well done, my faithful servant. That we, you know, everyone who follows Jesus wants to hear that in the end. We want to hear that God was glad with the way that we lived our lives. And that is important. It's important for the benefit of others, not for our own glory, but for the benefit of others that we live as a reflection of Jesus and work towards that to be a better person every day. So it is important to be a better person. And you will, we all will be rewarded at the end, um, judgment for what we've done. It's not going to get us into heaven, but we are going to be rewarded. There are rewards for things that we do on earth. So there is a benefit, a future reward for the things that we do today. 
And then there's also going to be, there's probably going to be some, I don't know, we'll just, we'll lose stuff if we don't do anything good. So right now is the time where Jesus even said, now is the time basically to gather up your treasures for heaven, not the earthly things that moths can devour, but build up your treasures for heaven. That's what we are called to do today. Lots to think about, but anyway, hopefully this made you think of some things in life, and if you found this beneficial, please share this with others. Thank you.